There it is, Valley Christian Church. How are we doing today? Everybody all right? Praise the Lord. Y'all sound tired, but God loves you anyway, so don't worry about it. Listen, I'm excited to be here with you. For anyone who doesn't know who I am, I am Pastor Stephen Francis, and I'm going to be filling in for Dr. Greg today as we start week three of our series, Playlist. And I hope you guys have been participating in this these past couple weeks. This has been truly a very fun and insightful series so far, and I believe that this message today is going to be more of that. You know, as I was thinking about this series playlist, and I was thinking about one of the things that I love music, and we all have different reasons why we love music, right? A lot of us just love the beat, we love to dance, we love to have a good time. There's certain songs that we also remember because it reminds us of a memory we had, something that we shared with somebody, and that makes us enjoy a song. But one of the things that I really love about music, and I think can really unite people, is how music, through the power of the lyrics, can really speak what's happening in your heart. In a sense, I believe that there are times when we listen to a song and it's the exact feeling that we always felt, but we just didn't know how to articulate it on our own. I don't know if you guys have ever had that before. I know I've had that a few times. And today's message, I believe, is one of those songs. Now, this is a pop song that we're talking about today. This is one that I believe has uh, been uh, going up the charts, if you will. But the thing about this song is that although it's a pop song, it's a very enjoyable song, this is a song that truly is an anthem for a lot of people in their situation in life. So without further ado, we're going to listen to the song together, and then we're going to get into it. And the song today is by none other but the incredibly talented Taylor Swift, Look What You Made Me Do. Let's check it out. A very aggressive pop song that is number one on the Billboard 100 right now. And what makes this song very interesting compared to other songs from Taylor Swift before many of you guys may not know Taylor Swift's history is that this is probably her most aggressive, very edgiest song that she has ever come out with, and there's a reason for that. Taylor Swift beforehand was known for being a very uh, positive artist, being more of a role model to young ladies of sorts. But last year, there was a little bit of a feud between her and some other celebrities, some other artists that said some very inappropriate things about her. And there was a debate and some things that were going back and forth in the media on whether she gave consent to these things or not. And then some footage came out of her giving consent and it became this whole thing. But in a sense, it ruined her good girl reputation. It ruined the positive role model view that she had of herself. And this response is written in this song. She is saying that the old Taylor Swift is dead. The so-called nice Taylor Swift, the so-called person that everybody can look up to is dead. And it's because of these particular people that did this. And not only is she a new person, but she is looking for revenge for what they have done to her. And she says, it's all your fault. The reason why I think this connects with so many people in our culture is because many of us know what it feels like to be scorned by somebody, especially somebody who we think is close to us, who should have been a friend, who should have been someone that we can trust. 
And truth be told, this song is resonating with a lot of people, but this is just the theme that is resonating in our culture. Many of you guys heard about this show on Netflix called 13 Reasons Why, which came out earlier this year. And in this show, 13 Reasons Why, it talked about a young teenage girl that kills herself and her suicide note are 13 recorded letters in a recording saying all the reasons why she did it, blaming the people for what it is that she did. This is dangerous thinking. This is scary to think that you can do certain things like that and blame it on somebody else. Which leads me to say that I believe that many times, yes, we have people that hurt us. Yes, we have people that could be considered an enemy towards us. But the biggest enemy you probably have in your life is actually yourself. Because you will convince yourself of doing very mean things, very horrible things, and justify it based upon what someone else did to you. See, the thing about 13 Reasons Why and the thing that I want to dive into, especially in the area of suicide, is that suicide is a real thing. It's a horrible thing. And there is nothing you could ever do to justify hurting yourself in such a painful way that will give ease to the people that are now in mourning from that. But also, the thing that's most important when it comes to 13 Reasons Why and even this Taylor Swift song is that it, does never, it never matters what somebody does to us. It matters what we do in every situation. We will be held accountable only for what we do, never for what somebody does for us. This is something that we learn since the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see God creates the universe and he creates a man and a woman named Adam and Eve. And he loved these people. They were made in his image and in his likeness. And in that relationship, he also gave them a choice to keep that relationship going. So he puts them in this garden with everything they could ever ask for. And he says, listen, I don't want you to eat of this one tree in the garden. If you don't do that, everything else is yours to enjoy. And God has such a close relationship with these people that he is physically walking with Adam and Eve during this time period. But in Genesis 3, we see something changes. In Genesis 3, Eve is approached by a serpent. And the serpent asks, is it okay for you to touch the fruit of that tree over there? To which she says, no, it is not okay to touch the fruit of that tree. God says, we will surely die. To which the serpent says, no, you will not. In fact, the God that said that you're not supposed to do it, he's holding out on you and you could be just as powerful and have all the knowledge that he has if you eat it. So she believes him and she eats of this fruit and it says in scriptures that she gave the fruit also to her husband, Adam, who was in charge and who was also standing next to her silent the whole time. In Genesis 3 at verse 11, we see God walking in the garden and he approaches Adam and Eve seeing that something happened. And he asked this question to them, starting in verse 11. God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man being Adam replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Now, real quick, that has to be the cheapest excuse I've ever seen in the history of humankind. Literally, God says, did you eat the fruit of the tree? And Adam's response was, listen, the woman that you gave me, God, the one you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. 
It was not my fault. She made me do it. Then God says to the woman, what have you done? And she says, the serpent deceived me. And she replied, that's why I ate it. So God says, who's responsible for this? Adam says, "Mm -mm, it was the wife that you gave me that gave me the fruit. And that's why I did it. And the woman says, listen, the devil made me do it. It was not my doing. It was because the serpent told me it was okay. And ultimately, God punishes all three of them. Their excuse was not enough to justify what it is that they did. And if you're following along with your Valley app notes, the first thing I want you to fill out is this, is that your explanations do not equal excuses. Your explanations do not equal excuses. An excuse is an alibi. It's a way of saying, oh, this is why I did it. It's fine. An explanation is the circumstances. It's usually something that's used to give reason and responsibility to the situation. But we don't necessarily know the difference. So in this moment, instead of explaining to God what they did, they just made excuses for why it was okay. But the thing that I love about this Though, yes, destruction came and sin came into the world and things have never been the same ever since, is that God never used us as an excuse to not love us. You know, one of the things I get so much as a pastor when I talk about this story is why didn't God just start over? Why didn't God just create another man and another woman that wouldn't eat of the tree? And that's because God is not controlled by the circumstances or the situations that we do. And that should free us up because truth of the matter is if how God treated us was based upon what we did to him, he would have enough justification to never interact with us ever. But God in his love saw that it was important still to come to earth in the form of Jesus, live, give an example of how we are to treat one another and die on the cross so that we can have that relationship restored with God again. That's the type of love that our God has, and it is never affected by what we do. And the reason why I want you to be encouraged by that, every person in here, every person watching in Poughkeepsie and also online, I want to encourage you with this thought that there is nothing that you can do right now that can make God love you any less or any more than he already does. You are loved fully by God, and it wasn't something you earned. It was a decision that he made, and you can never mess that up. But still, we need to understand that there's consequences for our actions. And Jesus sees this. You know, when Jesus was living on earth, he was a great example of love, of peace, and of forgiveness. But still, uh, of forgiveness, excuse me. But still, when it came to Jesus, he was not naive that we lived in a dangerous world. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus praying to God, which, by the way, reminds me of this very random meme that I saw that I thought was hilarious because I grew up in church where Jesus is praying in the garden. And he says, are you there, God? It's me, you. Some of y'all may not get that. That's fine. One day. But we're going to keep going. Jesus is in the garden and he's praying to God. And Jesus says these words. I am coming to you now. This is Jesus talking. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. The them that Jesus is talking about is you and me. People that believe in Jesus Christ, that believe that he died on the cross for our sins. Jesus has now sent us to be ambassadors into the world. Scripture testifies of that. But Jesus is also saying that the world that we live in is hostile. That the world that we live in is prone to hurt, is prone to attack. And because of that, he's asking for God to protect us while we're here in the world. And the thing that is used to protect us is his word. His word is the source by which we can find strength, by which we are able to find safety. But the problem is many of us keep getting hurt because we never knew God's word to ever protect us. And this is especially true when it comes to the relationships we have. This is especially true with even how we see ourselves. So with that, for the rest of the time together, I want to talk about three major key relationship things, both for yourself and for other people around you, that will help keep you safe in this world that can be hostile and hurt so we do not end up having negative stories like we heard in this song. The first thing that we need to do is that we need to understand that your best life requires the best boundaries. You know, it's been my experience that the people that are in the most trouble at times were the people that had the least defined boundaries in their life. An easy way for you to understand this, an easy way for us to see this is in the life of children. Do we have any parents in this room right now? Can you make some noise for me here online where you're at? I see they got you tired, but it's fine. They're in Valley Kids right now. Get your rest. But I'm not a parent yet. I am the proud uncle of five children, though. So praise God for that. And I'm also not a very good babysitter. My wife is very great at it. I'm one of those stereotypical uh, male babysitters where I just sit in one room and just listen for anything going wrong in the other room where the kids are at. But one of the experiences that I've had in babysitting and maybe many of you have had as parents is there will be a request made by your child or a group of children like, can we please go outside? And you say, yes, of course, because they're no longer in your space. They can't hurt anything. They can't break anything. They're fine. But isn't it crazy how you can say something like go outside and play and still they manage to find the craziest things to do to get themselves in hurtful and dangerous situations? So many times have I had to walk outside and be like, please do not pull her hair. Please do not eat that. That is not food. Please stay out of the street. These are the things that happen because kids just don't have the boundaries yet. They don't know what those boundaries are. The other thing, too, and I'm an actual witness of this as well in my own life. I remember when I was five years old and I was uh, being babysat by my sisters. My sisters are about 10 years older than me. And I asked my sisters for some juice. And they were like, fine, go into the fridge, get the juice yourself. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went into the kitchen, I walked up to the fridge, and I opened the juice. And what I'm look, excuse me, I opened the fridge looking for juice. And I'm looking for one of those Mott's juice boxes or like a Capri Sun. But I knew that we had grape juice in there somewhere, but I couldn't find it. 
However, I could find this really good-looking grape juice that happened to be in this glass bottle in the drawer of the door. I was like, well, this looks great. Mom drinks it all the time, so let's give it a shot. So I take out the bottle. I pour a little bit. I take a sip or two. I was like, this juice tastes weird, but whatever. So I'm drinking a little bit, and then my sisters realize, you know what? He hasn't come back with that juice box. So they come downstairs. They see me drinking this juice, which we all know by now was not juice. It's the Jesus juice. It's the fun juice, but anyway... And they stopped me. And they were like, you can't drink this. And I was like, why can't I drink it? It was like, this is mom's juice. This is mom's special juice. You have to be of a particular age to drink this juice. But I didn't know. That was a boundary that I had no idea existed. And because of that, I crossed that boundary. But now that I knew, I knew not to touch it. And here's the deal. I think many of us learn boundaries as we get older in regards to so many areas of life, but we don't learn it in how to have happy, healthy relationships. And because we lack those things, we always end up getting ourselves in trouble with relationships. So what I want to do right now, I want to name off 10 ways that you can see if you have a boundary issue in your life when it comes to relationships. And these are in your Valley app notes, and you can go ahead and follow along on there. If you don't have it, I recommend you download it. But I want to read these real quick. First way to know if you have a boundary issue is if you can't say no to people. If you exist in an unhealthy situation, like a relationship, a job, a, a school situation, even church, but you somehow feel compelled to stay, that's a boundary issue. If you fall head over heels in love with somebody after a first date, if you do things you don't want to do in order to please people, if you believe everything you hear, that is a boundary issue. If you constantly find yourself in relationships with people who are bringing you down, if you feel owned and controlled by greed, pride, and lust, if you avoid people you have issues with, if you feel like your life is out of control, if fear, guilt, or shame holds you back from what God wants you to be, you have a boundary issue. Now, those are 10. There's way more than 10. Those were just the 10 that I could come up with as I was thinking about this. But I want you to understand this, that these are boundary issues. And some of us may only have one or two of these problems. Some of us may have the whole list and then could add some more. But nevertheless, boundaries are important in order for us to have happy, healthy relationships with people. And scripture testifies of that. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, that a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now, I love the Bible because it is so deep and profound, but if you read the Bible sometimes in your 2017 mindset, you can completely miss what's happening. In the book of Proverbs, when this was written by King Solomon, in that time period, there was no such thing as a police force. There was no such thing as the National Guard. If anything happened to you where you lived, to your city, that was it. You were done. You were gone. So one of the things that many cities, many civilizations did was that they would build a wall around where people lived. And that was their way of getting protection from other enemies that came in. And not only would you have a massive wall surrounding you, but you would also have a gate that would allow certain things to come in and come out if you felt that was needed. The problem is if you lack self-control, you do not have those walls, meaning that anybody or anything can come into your life and they can rule your life and ruin your life. That is the importance of self-control. 
being able to have a wall and a gate to what you allow in your life. And here's the thing when it comes to self-control is that self-control is being able to say yes to the good things and no to the bad things. This is where I believe, again, we are our own worst enemy. Because truth be told, many of us feel like this is a simple, basic thing. Yes, you have to say yes to the good things and no to the bad things. But the truth of the matter is, depending on what your mood is and what your situation is, that will change what you believe to be good and bad. How many of us decide to make feelings, uh, because of our feelings, we make decisions based on our emotions? How many times did we say to ourselves, you know what, I'm going to lose those five pounds. I'm getting in the gym on Monday and there's going to be no more bread only for Tuesdays to show up. And we are back at Dunkin' Donuts. There are feelings and emotions that we make in the moment based upon what our emotions are. Do you know how many people many times I've had to interact with that are completely controlled by their fear? That are completely controlled by their anger? that are completely controlled by their urges, our desires. One of the things that broke my heart earlier this week, many of you heard that there was a very popular celebrity earlier this week that had to apologize to his pregnant wife and kids for doing some immoral things that ended up getting caught on television, on, on, on a recording. And that was because instead of having self-control, they ended up following the urges and desires that were in front of them. But then the other thing I believe that is most dangerous when it comes to boundaries is having boundaries with our thoughts. Because the thing with thoughts is that we can't, we don't necessarily always communicate what we're thinking. We don't always communicate what it is that we're battling with in our minds. But those things can stir up and mess us up so much that they begin to affect how we treat people, how we treat ourselves, how we see ourselves. So real quick, I want to read something else to you. There is a Dr. Chris Thurman who wrote an incredible book about the lies we believe. And in that book, he lists 30 things many of us think, but we need to say no to. We need to put up the wall and say, I will not think that way. And I want to read these to you real quick because I believe these are important. And I believe this is also in your Valley App Notes. First thing is this, that I must be perfect. I must have everyone's love and approval. It is easier to avoid problems than to face them. I can't be happy unless things go my way. My unhappiness is someone else's fault. You can have it all. My worth is determined by my performance. Life should be easy. Life should be fair. You shouldn't have to wait for what you want. People are basically good. All my marital problems are my spouse's fault. Dang. <laughs> if our marriage takes work, we must not be right for each other. My spouse can and should meet all my emotional needs. My spouse owes me for all I do. I should, I shouldn't have to change who I am to make our marriage work. My spouse should be like me. God's love must be earned. God hates the sin and the sinner. Because I am a Christian, God will protect me from pain and suffering. All my problems are caused by my sin. It is my Christian duty to meet all the needs of others. A good Christian doesn't feel angry, anxious, or depressed. God can't use me unless I am spiritually strong. If you ever think those things, if you ever cause yourself to dwell on those things, let me tell you right now, those things are lies. 
None of those things that were on that list, and there's more in your Valley app. I didn't read all 30, but none of those things on that list is true in the word of God or even practical in life. Yet still we cause ourselves to believe these things. But moving on, I believe that there's another way that we can better ourselves because when we have better thoughts of ourselves, when we see ourselves in the way that God sees us, it will also affect the relationships we have as well. Proverbs 12, 26 reads that the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. I believe the better we think about ourselves, the better we see ourselves, we can also better the people that are around us. I believe scripture also testifies of this, that if we have better, uh, that the people around us are a reflection of who we are already and where it is that God wants us to go, or excuse me, where it is that we're going to end up going. And God does have a direction for where he wants us to be. Yet at the same time, if we do not trust in what God has for us or what he says about us, we will always end up settling with something that is less than his will. But I want to move on because I think there's another way that many times we end up messing our lives up. And that's this, that we don't let bitter get in the way of better. Now, before we go any further, I do want to ask this question real quick. Uh, On a show of hands, how many of you are willing to admit that you had a very awkward middle school phase? Anybody in here? All right, a few of you. The rest of you are lying, but that's fine. I had a very awkward middle school phase, and to prove it to you, I want to show you this picture of me going into seventh grade. Uh, This picture is known as the Biggie Smalls era in my household. This is actually a picture of me in uh, Jamaica with my sister, who I cut out because it's not about her right now. But um, this was what I was like back in middle school. And I remember after I got back from this trip and I was on my way to school, uh, I remember one of the things that I got to do, I got some allowance uh, from somebody, from a parent, and I decided to go to CVS. And while I was looking in CVS, I found some of what is, to this day, probably one of my most favorite snacks, but it is not good for you at all, the Hostess White Glazed Honey Bun, all right? When you put that joker in the microwave for a couple minutes, that thing will melt in your mouth. It's incredible, all right? So I bought that honey bun, but I told myself, uh, school lunch sucks, so I'm going to hold on to this and eat it tomorrow at lunch. And you ever have it where, like, you have something in the fridge or you know you're going to have something for lunch or dinner and you are excited, like, literally, you are smiling around the office or around you where you are because you know your lunch is about to be banging? That was me all day at school. And I remember I got to lunch and I opened up the honey bun and I had my tray of other foods there, you know, an apple or whatever else. And I was getting ready to eat it. But then I heard somebody, a friend of mine, call me from the other side of the room and they wanted me to sit with them. They were sitting with another group of people that I thought were pretty cool. So I was excited. So I picked up my food and I walked up over to the people over there. And when I walked up, there was a guy that was sitting on the table and he saw the honey bun on my tray and he smacks the entire tray out of my hand. And his response was, boy, you too fat. You don't need that. To which everybody that saw it began to laugh. And what made that situation even worse for me when I think back on it is I didn't say anything. I didn't have a cool comeback. 
I picked up the tray of food that was all on the floor, including the honey bun. I was really looking forward to that, by the way. Threw it in the trash, and I hid in the bathroom for the rest of the lunch. I hid in that bathroom feeling like the biggest loser on the planet, and I didn't know what to do from there. And maybe you guys resonate with that. Maybe you've been bullied before. Maybe someone made you feel less of yourself because of how you looked or maybe even how you behaved. And I remember thinking to myself, all of my options. I I remember saying, you know what? I can go out there and I can try to smack the food out of his plate. And then I remember thinking, you know what? I'm just going to go home. I'm going to put in some Tybo tapes, get as strong as possible and beat this guy up. I also remember thinking, you know what, maybe I should just go to a different school. Maybe I should try to find somewhere else for people to accept me and love me. Maybe you guys resonate with that, and I think there's even other people that have experienced even worse things than that, but I think we could all agree, if you've ever had an experience like that, you can say, you know what, stuff like that can mess you up for the rest of your life. Stuff like that can keep you in a place of bitterness that is hard to escape and can even affect the actions that you don't even realize are a product of what happened back then. I believe that we need to be sure that we never allow bitterness to get in the way of what it is that God has for us, the better that we have. Because let's be real, it doesn't matter how good your friendship is with other people. It doesn't matter how well you try to protect yourself. We will be hurt in this life. Jesus prayed knowing that, that we will be hurt in this life some way, shape, or form. But if we stay bitter, we also stay stuck in one place. I believe bitterness is a sickness that will stunk stump your spiritual growth, stump how you see the world, stump how you treat people, and we will never overcome it unless we become free. And this is why Jesus talks about the importance of forgiveness. One of the verses that I believe can mess you up in the Bible is Matthew 6, verse 12, which is Jesus praying this prayer, and he's giving the disciples a model on how to pray. And in the verse 12, he says this, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And this makes me a little upset because it's so easy to be like, God, please forgive me of my sins and also rain fire on all of those who have ever hurt me in the past. But what this verse is trying to communicate to us is this. Jesus is saying, however difficult it is for me to forgive the person that hurt me, it it was also just as difficult for Jesus to be able to forgive me of my sins by dying on the cross. Yet if he managed to find the strength to die on the cross so that my life could be forgiven, how much can I be able to forgive the person for just knocking a honey bun out my hand? or whatever the situation it may be for you. And let me say this as well, because many times a lot of Christians get bad raps when we talk about forgiveness. Us saying that we forgive somebody does not mean that that person should not be held accountable for their actions. That does not mean that there should not be legal action charged against a particular individual because of what they did. But what it is saying is that I'm going to release myself from the bitterness that you caused in that situation. 
And I am going to live a life that will not be held back because of what you did in one moment. Uh, evidence of this that I think is so powerful was in the Charleston church shooting that happened in 2015. In 2015, many of you remembered, uh, a man walked in, a young man walked into a prayer service during a predominantly African-American church and shot and killed nine people. His specific intent was to kill black people. And after he killed the people and he was arrested, which, by the way, he was given McDonald's on his way to the hospital, which is crazy to me, but that's another message. But still, he ended up getting convicted, and during the whole process of his conviction, there was an opportunity for the loved ones that were hurt by this individual, for the loved ones that lost somebody because of this individual, to say something to this man. And I want to tell you some of the things that were said to him because it's so amazing to me. Because if anybody has any reason to be bitter, it should have been these people. In our eyes, they had every reason to be justified to hate this person. But this one woman said this, I am a work in progress, but I'm very angry. But I have no room for hate. I am called to forgive and I make a decision to pray for you and your soul. Another individual said this, that my only regret in this situation is that we have not met you sooner. Because if we did, we would have invited you to our church. This ability to forgive not only helped those individuals in that situation, but the politicians of the area of Charleston believed that it was because of how they handled that situation that there was also not riots in the streets of Charleston after. Our ability to forgive and let go of bitterness in our lives does not only help us be better people, but it can motivate other people around us that know our story. There's one more thing that I believe is important for us to understand when it comes to living a life free of the pain and hurt of others is that we need to know when to bring help or to break away from the burdened. Galatians 6, verse 2 to 5 says these words, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now that seems like a lot. I'm going to go ahead and expound on that a little bit, try to make it plain. Because it can seem like a contradiction how first it says that we are supposed to carry one another's burdens, but everybody's in charge of their own load. This is shipping talk. This is boat conversation. What happens is that a cargo ship or a cargo boat in that time period was considered to have a load, meaning that they had something that they were able to handle. They had something on their boat that they had the capacity to take. But every now and then, maybe because of a lot of fish that they just caught or something, it would cause for the ship to become burdened, meaning they needed for another ship to show up and help them with what was on their boat to relieve them of the amount of pain, or excuse me, the amount of stress that was on the boat, physical stress. 
what Paul is saying here, who wrote this in Galatians, is that God wants us to be able to take care of our own load, but when somebody is burdened by something that happens in their life, we are able to come to their aid. The best example I can think of this is actually just a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we heard about what happened in Houston, and we are praying not only for Houston, but for Florida, the entire Caribbean, Puerto Rico, especially right now, as they're dealing with an onslaught of hurricanes. But we as the church decided that we were going to pull together, and we decided to give over $10,000 to those that were suffering in the area of Houston. And we've done even more than that, sending people aid from not only Houston, but also Florida as well. What we did in that moment was helping a city that was burdened in that time. That something happened to them that they were not able to handle themselves, so we sent aid. We would not send $10,000 to Houston if Houston was doing just fine. As nice as that would be, if you feel like giving me $10,000, I'm doing just fine, but I'll take it. But nevertheless, we don't do that because we can see that someone has, is able to handle their own load in that moment. And this is why I believe that many of us get hurt. Jesus also testified of this. He echoed this in uh, Mark chapter 5, 17, where he hears some people complaining about him because he is hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with tax collectors. And his response to that is this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What Jesus is saying here is not only am I here to help those that do not know me, but why else would I help out those that already know me? They can follow me for themselves. They have the ability to do that for themselves. Now, let me get to the point. I believe that many of us are trying to help those that are burdened when in actuality, they're just dealing with their own load. And that can hurt us. I believe many times we believe that we want to help somebody that is dealing with a burden, but they don't want the help that we are trying to offer. And again, that can get us hurt. The thing about this that we need to understand is that there are people that are burdened, there are people that are broken, there are people that need our help. But I think sometimes because of our affection for a particular person, because this person is in our family, we start to think that it's okay for us to just do everything that we can for them when in reality, maybe it's best, maybe it's God's will that we let God be God and we step back and let them try to handle it. Many times we hurt ourselves trying to give help to somebody when in reality they don't know they need help and they need to confess it for themselves before we can actually give help to them. We can hurt ourselves so deeply when we do these things, but when we understand what God's word says, when we understand what it is that he has placed in us, we can be protected in those relationships with each and every person. We could also better protect ourselves from ourselves. And then the time that we have together, I'm closing now. I just want to ask this question to you. Are you the person that's burdened in this room today? Has something in your life caused you to just start to sink? Has something that somebody did to you left you in a bitter place and you're moving on, you're doing good, you're trying to handle your own stuff, but at the end of the day, 
you're stuck? Are you the person where because of lack of boundaries in your life, someone ended up showing up and ruining what it is that you tried to establish for yourself? Are you overran by your own thoughts that have you now doing things and acting out in ways that aren't true, that aren't real? I want to pray for you today. And I want to pray that whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is that you know someone is dealing with in your life, one of these three, that you find the healing that you need today, the victory that you need today. And I also want to do a second prayer because maybe you're in here right now and you don't realize this, but you do feel the burden. You do feel the boundary loss. You do feel the bitterness. And you also haven't received Jesus Christ who is able to heal these things, who is able to help with these things. I want to make a prayer for you as well and let you know that he is with you. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for each and every person in this room. I thank you for each and every person watching online, each and every person that is in the Poughkeepsie campus. And God, I ask today that wherever we are in this situation, wherever we feel hurt, wherever we feel that we can't move on, wherever we feel like the good person that we could have been is dead, I pray, Lord, that you, through your resurrection power, bring life to us now. I pray, Lord, that you give us the ability to say no to the bad things and yes to the good things that you would have us to say yes to. I pray, Lord, that today that the bitterness that we have because of a divorce, because of something that didn't go our way, because of anything, Lord Jesus, that we'll be able to find freedom in you to forgive today and let go of those things that have kept us trapped for so long. I pray, Lord, that if many of us feel burdened, that we feel like we're sinking, that we feel like we're being sunk because we keep trying to help the wrong people, I pray, Lord, that you give us the freedom today. Your scripture says that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and we pray, Lord, that we take hold of that in this time together. God, I pray, Lord, that you give ease to our hearts, that you give us the boldness to walk in the way that you would have us to be. Thank you, Jesus. And right now, I want to pray for each and every person in here that has not received Jesus Christ. And you feel today that is your day that you need to have him in your life. You need to be free from the burdens, from the lack of boundaries, from the bitterness. Scripture says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And with the, it is with that knowledge, I want to pray this prayer, and I want you to repeat after me. There's no magic words to this. It's just you saying the position of your heart. Repeat after me, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me when I couldn't love myself. Thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. Lord, I ask that you come into my life. I ask that you be my Lord and Savior. I ask that this journey with you help me to live in the boundary, to live free of the bitterness and free of the burden. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.